The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here, and welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world, and with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. Today, I'm thrilled to have as my guest, Barry Johnson, and we'll be discussing polarity management, identifying and managing unsolvable problems. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Barry. He is an author, a thought leader, and and president of Polarity Management Associates. For over 35 years, Barry's helped to create organizations that are good places to work, to own, to do business with, and to have in your community. The Polarity Map, an initial set of principles, emerged out of his work as a Gestalt therapist in 1975. And since then, he's continued to develop the map and principles with a variety of organizations across the globe. He's written two groundbreaking books, Polarity Management, Identifying and Managing Unsolvable Problems, and Managing Polarities in Congregations, Eight Keys for Thriving Faith Communities. Barry co-founded Polarity Partnership in 2011. Through his consulting and training organization, he's worked with numerous organizations on four continents. And he's worked in large and small systems in both the public and private sector. And he's committed to making polarity thinking available to everyone. So, Barry, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Well, thanks a lot for the invitation, Olivia. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. So, before I ask my first question, I'd like to suggest to my listeners that you grab a pencil and paper, because we're going to describe a process that can be easily mapped. So, I want you to be ready. Here's my first question. In your writing on polarities, you say, quote, the more we understand about the elements of this phenomenon and the dynamics by which it functions, the more effective we can be at leveraging its energy. This leveraging can support us in pursuing our most expansive dreams and addressing our most chronic issues as individuals, families, organizations, nations, and humanity. So this is exciting and sounds really powerful. And I know I've had this experience, I'm sure many of my listeners have, where we set out to achieve a goal, it might be personal or within our company, some way through, or maybe even after we're done and we think we've been successful, issues start to arise that we didn't expect. So my understanding from your work is that 
these are often predictable. And so can you tell us some ways we could identify this phenomenon, like what causes it, maybe how we can manage it? Um, Sure. Um, The... Uh, let me just begin by saying the the phenomena goes by different names in the literature. So uh, the best descriptive term for it is probably interdependent pairs, uh, like inhaling and exhaling or activity and rest or centralizing or decentralizing an organization. Uh, these interdependent pairs uh, are also in the literature called paradoxes or dilemmas or tensions. Uh, we use the word polarity, but when we're but all of us who are in this arena talking about these interdependent pairs, even though we have a different language for it, uh, the primary thing that I would like us to pay attention to is we are talking about the interdependency between uh, two dimensions of life. And maybe one example that, that, um, that you and, and other listeners might be interested in is, uh, for example, work and home. Uh, um, how, do we, how do we manage to do a... Uh, a good job of, of uh, getting the benefits of uh, creating a quality home life on the one hand and a quality work life on the other hand. And so uh, work and home is, is one example of a polarity that all of us uh, deal with on a regular basis. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And I think it's, yes, that's one that we really personally deal with. So what do you think causes this? Or how can we manage it? Well, um, the um, uh, polarities just exist as a part of life. They're a phenomena in the universe like gravity or sunlight. Um, mm. And we deal with them all the time. So uh, we, uh, we find ourselves actually inside of these polarities uh, that we're working with. So, uh, uh, for example, um, organizations often deal with the tension between are we going to centralize our arrangements in order to integrate the system, uh, and they see it as an either-or proposition, or are we going to decentralize in order to be more responsive, uh, more connected with the, uh, with the customer, etc. And so um, when we talk about the swing of the pendulum, some organizations, they talk about, well, we centralized three or four years ago. Now we're swinging back towards decentralization. So this, what has been called in the literature sometimes a pendulum swing or in the culture, I'm suggesting that's more helpfully seen as a polarity in which you have an infinity loop that wraps around uh, the two poles of a polarity. So what you're saying is that companies try to be centrally focused or, or managed centrally and then, and then they lose that individuality or the energy that comes from maybe more dynamic variation in, in activities or like, I guess some companies are siloed, others maybe more integrated. Is that kind of those uh, yes, two polarities? Uh, yeah. yeah, an example of, of, of uh, when organizations are experiencing uh, the siloed notion, they're, they're experiencing the limits of a decentralized orientation. If you decentralize mm-hmm. Um, and allow for a lot of autonomy and independent functioning of different parts of the system. It really has a great upside, but the limit is that they can get uh, isolated from each other and you lose the potential synergy between the parts. And then that drives the system to want to be more uh, centralized to get the benefits of that. Um, However, 
um, uh, centralization has its own problems, which is you can become too bureaucratic and too uh, overly controlling, so you lose mm. that, that individual initiative for, by parts of the system. And so how do you manage that inherent tension between wanting some uh, autonomy and individual uh, uh, freedom and, and ability to take initiative by a part of the organization or the various parts? Uh, mm-hmm. How do you somehow allow for that while also... Uh, allowing for an integration of the system. Um, and if you can see it as a polarity to leverage, then you can intentionally go after, if you will, the benefits of each rather mm-hmm. than fighting over um, are we going to do one or the other. Because fighting mm-hmm. over the two poles of a polarity is as ridiculous as fighting over are we going to be inhalers or exhalers in the future. <laughs> um, notice it doesn't, it doesn't matter who wins that argument, uh, the person is going to be blue in the face soon because, in All fact, right. you have to have an ongoing oscillation between inhaling and exhaling. Or in our, uh, another example is activity and rest. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, these, these are very generic to life. I'll just share some examples of what polarities look like in, uh, in leadership and then in organizations. Uh, the literature is very clear that leaders that can leverage paradox or dilemma or polarities well outperform those that don't. Some mm. examples of leadership polarities would include being able to be both visionary and grounded, mm. being both uh, self-assured and humble, uh, being mm. able to be both clear and flexible, uh, and to be able to think short-term and long-term. So all of these are just examples of... of uh, polarities that effective leaders uh, tend to uh, leverage better than those uh, who are not effective at, uh, at leveraging polarity. So they're, they're just more effective as a leader. If Can I ask you, is, Go ahead. Well, before we get, yeah, do you find um, leaders that maybe aren't good at this in general get, get the gist of why it's important and then can become more flexible or more uh, able to see both sides? Is that sort of a um, developmental sure. process? Uh, uh, yes, it's, it's, quite, it's quite teachable, and I think that the polarity lens can be helpful. So, for example, if you had a leader who was accused of being uh, rigid, um, mm-hmm. um, uh, what, would, what would happen, and maybe if, if you and the readers would just create this polarity map so that people can see it's a very visual concept. So, what I'd like you to do is just put, um, uh, if you've got a piece of paper, if you just put uh, two circles that are sort of side-by-side side on the, the page with a little bit of space in between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the left-hand circle, if you'd like, write the word tight. And in the right-hand circle, write the word loose. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then what I'd like okay. you to do is just draw an infinity loop, which is like a, the, the number eight laid on its side, and have that infinity loop just wrap around both of those uh, circles, around the tight and around the loose. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, okay? and then I'd like you to just put an arrow when, the, when this infinity loop, uh, if, if, if you look at the, where the infinity loop curves around underneath the tight pole and starts going up above the loose pole, just put an arrowhead pointing that direction from the lower left towards the upper right. Okay. And then put another arrowhead on this loop that goes from the below the loose pole towards the upside mm-hmm. of the tight pole. So you get a sense of how this 
it, the energy flows from the downside of one pole to the upside of the other. Right. So have you got that there? Yep, I do. Okay, great. So now what I'd like you to do, we're just going to put a few words to, to identify the upsides and downsides of each pole. So on the tight pole on the left, above mm-hmm. the tight pole, what I'd like you to do is write the word clear. Okay. And, and, and the, the, uh, the, and the bottom and, and the upside of the uh, loose pole above it, I'd like you to write the word flexible. Okay. Now, if you over-focus on the clear, the tight pole, to the neglect of, the, of flexibility, you get the downside of the tight pole. So if you go below the tight pole, that would put the word rigid. Mm, right. Okay? And then if you, but if you over-focus on the flexible pole being too loose without, without the clarity of the tight pole, you get the downside of the loose pole, and so the mm-hmm. downside of that right, which is being ambiguous. Right, that makes now, sense. So what we're suggesting is that an effective leader is able to be both clear and flexible, able to get the upsides of each pole. And uh, <clears throat> what I'd like you to do now is just uh, uh, between those, those two circles, if you would just have a line uh, that goes from the, tight, uh, from the tight circle on the left, just have a line that, that um, swings up towards the middle top of the page and a line that swings from the loose pole also. The two of them sort of combine and they go up towards the top of the page and make another circle up there at the top of the page. And what you'd have there, then just put the word effective leader there. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then do the same thing going, going uh, to the bottom of the page. So a line that comes from the left pole and just swings down towards the bottom middle of the page and one that comes from the right pole and swings to the bottom middle, so they connect together and put a circle at the bottom of the page, and that there we would have ineffective leader. Right. Okay? So now we have a full polarity map. So let's talk about a leader who is, um, I say I'm coaching a leader, and he or she has gotten feedback from others that, um, let's say that she's accused of being too rigid. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so she gets accused of the, if you'll notice, that accusation would fit in the downside of the tight pole. Right. And the, and the natural self-correction would be, well, you need to be more flexible, which is the upside of the loose pole. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the normal tendency would be to say, well, you're too rigid, you need to be more flexible, which has a truth to it. But the problem is that it pretends that the problem is rigidity and the solution is flexibility. And so mm. using typical gap analysis, what's the present state? You're rigid. What's the preferred future state? Be more flexible. And what's the strategy? Now you've just coached the person to figure out how he or she can become more flexible. What I'm suggesting is that um, if you see rigidity as a problem and flexibility as a solution, that's a setup. Because it's actually, rather than a problem with a solution, it's a segment of an ongoing oscillation between tight and loose. Mm. So, so the reason that the person is hanging onto the tight pole and is being seen as rigid is because he or she values the upside of the tight pole, which is being clear. Right. And what he or okay. she is afraid of is, so you could put value by the word clear and then mm-hmm. fear by the word ambiguous in the lower right. So it's, 
it's the value of clarity and the fear of losing it and becoming ambiguous that is causing this person to be experienced as rigid. So if I were coaching him or her, what I would say is, look, one of the strengths that you have is your desire to be clear. And, uh, and this is important. The question is, how do we hold on to your clarity and mm. avoid, which is the upside of the left pole, and avoid the downside of the right pole, avoid being ambiguous. At the same time, how can we experiment with being flexible without losing the clarity that's very important to hold on to? Because the objective is not to just become more flexible. The objective, which is at the upper uh, right area, if you will, of the infinity loop, the objective is to get to the top of the page, which we call the greater purpose, to be an effective leader. So if he or she can be both clear and flexible, that will the two can combine and create a virtuous cycle lifting this person towards more and more effective leadership as he or she is able to to, uh, leverage both being clear and flexible. Oh, that's fascinating. And we've got about a minute and a half before break. So I think before we get into the organizational, um, we'll go to break. But I just wonder, do people that you're coaching get this usually uh, intellectually and then do they Uh, work through like emotional issues ever that that where they resist giving up the clarity or the control or whatever like that well well, yeah the the, that's the assumption uh uh, olivia that the assumption is that they have to give up the uh control or the clarity in order to be flexible Mm. my message is my message is actually flexibility done in combination with clarity will increase the clarity as well as increase the flexibility. So this is not a zero-sum game in which if you become flexible, you have to become less clear. On the contrary, I'm saying that real clarity is supported by good flexibility, and real flexibility is supported by uh, uh, real clarity. Um, Same way with organizations. So so before we go to organizations, we're just yeah. up on a break. Can we? So let's do that, and then we come back. We'll have plenty of time. So I just want okay. to reintroduce my guest is Barry Johnson. We're talking about polarity management, and you can learn more about Barry's work at polaritypartnerships.com, and we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm with my guest, Barry Johnson. We're talking about polarity management. And before the break, we were talking about some of the different names for these, uh, this phenomenon, like interdependent pairs and um, just lots of ways that we see things, yin and yang, um, light and shadow. There's just a lot of ways that these, this phenomenon is identified. And I, we'd also talked about how a leader might be managing a tension between being clear um, and being flexible and how those two things actually can be effective together with the right way of approaching polarity management. We were then going to go into an example about organizations. I'd love you to to maybe take us through an example or a map and some of the tensions within organizations that you commonly see. Um, sure. Well, um, uh, one really fundamental one is what we call the part-whole polarity. So if you mm-hmm. were to create, if you were to put a couple of circles on a page again with the infinity loop wrapped around them, and you put part in the left circle, and mm-hmm. if you put whole in the right circle, the part-whole polarity, um, there's, uh, and what you what you put above the part um, is, uh, would you put the word freedom, mm-hmm. and above the whole you'd put equality. And then, mm-hmm. if, and then in the, uh, the lower left, if you will, below the part, you would have inequality, and below the whole, you would have loss of freedom. Mm. So this, so and then what you could have at the um, uh, at the top, the at the very top of the page with the arrows that lead, you know, the combining both freedom and equality leads to, and this would be an effective organization or an effective nation. Right. At, at, um, the, bo- at the bottom, you def- could have ineffective organization or ineffective nation. So I'll sort of mm-hmm. talk about both organization and nation. Because this is scalable from from the uh, from the organizational to the national and international level, this part whole polarity. So, for example, if you if uh, uh, when you when you've got your uh, you've got a department in an organization, and if you were the leader of that department, what you would want is some freedom to express your uniqueness as a department and to take initiative as a department mm-hmm. uh, it, without having to check with you know uh, uh, somebody else in the system. That's what parts want, whether the part is an individual member of a team or a department in an organization or the United States and the United Nations. Parts want mm-hmm. the freedom to express their uniqueness and take initiative. Now, balancing that on the upper right, on, above the whole, in order to balance freedom, you need to pay attention to equality amongst the parts. In order mm-hmm. to pay attention to the uniqueness uh, that you want uh, for a part, you need to pay attention balance that with connectedness among the parts. And in terms of individual initiative for the parts, that needs to be balanced with some kind of synergy amongst these parts. So for the whole, you want equality, connectedness, and, uh, and synergy amongst the parts. 
So what happens in an organization or a nation state, when you over-focus on freedom to the neglect of equality, you get inequality, hmm. which, is a concern, which is a concern in the United States especially, because the United States, in the freedom and equality tension, has a strong preference for freedom. Yes. And if you, if you have a preference for one pole, you're vulnerable to over-focus on it and get the downside of that pole. So that's why the United States, with our strong uh, value preference for freedom, we allow ourselves to get to tolerate gross inequality. And this is the income divide that you know, people have been talking about, the rich getting richer yeah. and the poor getting poorer. We tend to tolerate that um, because we're afraid if we go to the equality pool, we're going to lose our freedom. Right, so socialism would be that so, sort so of... that's what happens when we talk about, for example, when we talk about basic health care for everybody in this country, it immediately triggers the fear of a loss of freedom, freedom of choice. We attribute it in the United States. We say, well, that's socialism, that's communism. We're not going to allow that. So there's a very strong fear of the downside of the whole pole. And right. this fear makes it difficult for us to access the upside of that pole. So an organization uh, or a nation state, if we, if we can see it as a polarity, then we, we shift our notion as are we going to, rather than making the statement, are we going to have freedom or are we going to have equality, we can say actually we can do both. Mm. And, and our equality over time supports our freedom and our freedom over time supports our equality. And in the United States, this is really deeply rooted in our, the Declaration of Independence, we talk about, you know, hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, so the equality mm-hmm. shows up, right. and are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, and amongst them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So freedom mm. and liberty, or freedom and equality, have been affirmed from the beginning in the United States, and they got reaffirmed by Lincoln in his Gettysburg Address, uh, where he said, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a nation conceived in liberty, freedom, and mm. dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. So it's no. a way for him so to there's... address slavery. So freedom and equality uh, has been, from the beginning, articulated as important dimensions in life. And when we get in trouble is when we see them as an either-or proposition. A polarity lens sees them as 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 a synergistic proposition where the two of them can be combined in a way that makes for a highly effective country, it makes for an effective democracy. So I'm curious, and I do want to get back to talking about some companies, but do you see any nation states or countries that are doing this well? Well, I think Sweden is doing a better job than we mm-hmm. are at leveraging that those polarities. We're doing a much better job now than we were at the time we articulated it. I mean, if you think about the time that we, that uh, that the Declaration of Independence was written, those writing it were uh, were uh, white men who um, uh, owned slaves and were putting mm-hmm. Indians on reservations and didn't allow their wives to vote. So, yeah, other than that, right. he believed on freedom and equality. You know, so so um, <laughs> that's it. Uh, it. Of course, we weren't living up to the espoused value of freedom and equality. But we are, we're moving that direction, and that's, and that's positive. Any country that moves towards leveraging the polarity of freedom and equality will be a more effective democracy, a more effective country, than one that chooses one pole or the other 
um, as if you had to make that what I call a false choice. Right. So if we were going to do a map for an organization, what, what might that look like? Or Well, the, we could use the same part, whole polarity. So the reason, right. uh, the reason you centralize is to take care of the needs of the part. And the mm. reason you decentralize is to take care of the whole and integrate the whole. So the, so the, the part whole polarity shows up in organizations. Matter of fact, I was working with an organization. Um, they were located in 46 countries. Uh, around the United States, and they were bringing me in to spend a day with their top 200 people. And as I was talking with them on the phone in anticipation of the of my spending a day with them on polarity thinking, they said, well, Barry, we want you to understand our theme for the uh, leadership program we're presenting. We've got about 200 people coming in. And I said, well, what's the theme? And they said, it's leading through values. And I said, well, great, because values come in pairs, so we can look at values pairs as polarities, and uh, we can go from there and look, looking at uh, leadership development and organization development. And mm-hmm. the chief operating officer who was on the phone said, well, are you saying values come in pairs? And I said, well, yes, sir. And uh, he said, well, if you're going to be messing with our values in front of our top 200 people, I would like to know what you're going to do with them. Can we <laughs> send you our values? And I said, sure. So he sent me the values, and I looked at them, and one of the values was autonomous business units. Mm. Now... Um, so, yeah, so what I was looking for is if you've got autonomous business units, this is favoring the part pole, right? The autonomy of yep. the business units as a part of the organization. The question yep. is, did they have another value that was focusing on the integration of these business units, you know, centralized coordination or any value around integration of the, of the system or what I would call integrated business units? And yeah. I said, do you have any, you know, and I looked and I said, you don't have anything like, you know, integration of the system or integrated business units, you've just got autonomous business units. And mm-hmm. he said, well, yes. He said, what do you make of that? And I said, well, your organization is experiencing or will experience excess competition between the business units, um, <laughs> gross inequality between the business units, um, a sense of siloedness, a lack of synergy, uh, redundancies. And I started listing all these things. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I said, and I said, furthermore, I said, at some point, you're going to call that a problem. This list, this silos and isolation and competition, excess competition, et cetera. When you right. do, you're going to bring those business unit heads together and you're going to agree to what you need to do. And notice this is the lower left now of the mm-hmm. part. You're going to say what we need to do is we need to go to integration of those business units. And we, you know, we need to uh, improve communication. We need to centralize, coordinate, and you know, coordinate, etc. Mm-hmm. I said you're going to then agree as a group that that's where you need to go, and then you're not going to go there. And he was <laughs> shocked. There was just silence on the end of the phone. And I said hello, and uh, and he said um, he said who have you been talking to? And I said I haven't been talking with anybody. I said I just know how values work and how polarities work, and this is all predictable. And he said. Well, I understand how you would identify, you know, that if we focused on autonomous business units, we'd get the silos and the competition, and how you'd come up with where we would want to go would be system integration, you know, and a coordinated processes, et cetera. He said, but did I hear you correctly? You said we weren't going to walk our talk? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, I want to know how you knew that, because two years ago, I had the meeting you talked about with all the heads of every business unit globally, and we agreed that we were too isolated, too siloed, and we needed to be more integrated as a system. He said, we've hardly, even though we all agreed, we've hardly moved an inch in two years. He said, I want to know how you knew we weren't going to walk our talk. And mm-hmm. I said, well, that's why I'm coming to spend the day with you, 
but essentially, from a polarity perspective, what they were doing is they were uh, they were using typical gap analysis for the change. What's our present state? Siloed and isolated business units, the downside apart. Mm-hmm. Um, what's our preferred future? Integrated business units. You know, lack of comp- you know more coordination rather than competition, etc. Mm-hmm. And then all you need for gap analysis is a strategy. You've got a present state, a future state, and a strategy to bridge the gap between the present state and the future state. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with gap analysis, if you're dealing with a polarity, which they were in this case, is you only have a segment of this ongoing infinity loop. What was missing was the upside of autonomous business units, or the upside mm-hmm. of the part, if you will, the freedom, right. autonomy, independence for the business units to be creative and take initiative, etc., and the fear in the culture itself of if we do go to the upside of the whole and go to integrated mm-hmm. business units, we're going to end up creating a bureaucracy. So the fear was of the downside of the whole, too much bureaucracy and red tape, and we're going to lose our business unit autonomy if we go to integrated business units. So the whole organization saw it as an either-or proposition in which they couldn't really hold on to their treasured autonomy, which was very important, if they mm-hmm. actually did go to integrated business units. So when I went to meet with them, we, we laid out that polarity map, and then we looked at what are the action steps we can do to make sure we hold on to and build on business unit autonomy, and what are the action steps we can do to make sure that we also capture the benefits of uh, system-wide integration. So can you give an example of some of those action steps? Um, sure. For business unit autonomy, it would be um, <clears throat> that you um, allow people to make decisions. Um, what you, you be clear about what are the range of decisions you can make without checking with corporate. Just do mm-hmm. it. Right? So what right. are those range of things you can do? Uh, you'd also make a list on the integrated side is uh, things like we're going to meet uh, regularly to look at how our systems integrate. What are the things that we can integrate while maintaining the autonomy of these business units. And so you generate stuff that support integration while supporting autonomy. And the assumption is that you can do both. Um, And this is the important thing about a polarity lens. The assumption is not only can you do both, you have to do both. And if you do both well, it will radically improve your competitive advantage uh, and your success as an organization. I'll give one more organizational example that's, yeah. that is a perfect example of this, which is Singapore International Airlines. Singapore mm-hmm. International Airlines made the commitment to what they call a dual strategy. And notice, with a polarity lens, it's a dual strategy. How do we do this and do this? Yeah. And their, their center driving polarity is how do we have the most customer, uh, sat, the most satisfied customers in the world, uh, in the airline industry, and how do we also uh, have the most cost-effective operation? So we need to be cost-effective on the one hand, and we need to have high customer satisfaction. Now, a lot of people tend to think, well, if you're going to have customer satisfaction, it's going to cost you a lot of money, so you're going to have to pay on the, on the cost side if you actually do uh, a serious job of customer satisfaction. They made the assumption that you could do both, and they have done both. They're the most cost-effective mm. airline on the planet. They are also the highest-rated customer satisfaction airline on the planet. And so if you intentionally do both with a polarity, you can, in fact, give yourself a huge competitive advantage over those who see one pole or the other as a choice they have to make. 
So did they know uh, about this model when they went on this path to achieve these two goals? Were they aware of that? The, no, this. no, that's what's fun about it. See, the phenomena, mm. we all exist inside these polarities, and at some level, we have a lot of experience, and we understand that at some level, they just made it explicit and intentional. They, they mm-hmm. might not ever have read about paradox or dilemma or polarity, but they just had a sense, I think we can do both of these things, let's try, and they did, and they have succeeded. So there are a lot of effective leaders out there and a lot of effective organizations who've never heard about polarity thinking or dilemmas or paradox. But Mm -hmm. in their life experience, they have learned that you can do both and how to do both. For example, there are a lot of effective parents who are able with their children to both um, uh, be demanding, hold them accountable, and also uh, love them. So how do, you, mm-hmm. how do you love them, support them, and care for them, and hold them accountable? Well, uh, effective parents are able to do both. Ineffective parents over-focus on, on either tough love or gentle love, and they're less effective. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I, I think we've seen extremes, right? And especially in child-rearing where parents are very over-controlling, and then those children either end up being as controlling or completely go the other direction exactly. and being able yeah. <laughs> to, to have that balance. Which right. it, So I'm curious because I remember when my, my kids were young sort of setting parameters so they had freedom within them. Does that exactly. same kind of, yeah, so, exactly. and it sounds like that was what you were kind of talking about with organizations. Um, mm-hmm. We Well, we're just out of, up at a break, so maybe we'll go to break. And then when we come back, I want to ask you more about how Singapore Airlines and, and companies that might be trying to do the same thing um, could think about ways to approach it. So let me just sure. introduce you again. Uh, my guest is Barry Johnson. We're talking about polarity management. You can learn more about Barry's work at polaritypartnerships.com. And we will be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m., 10 Central, every Sunday. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 
you are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here. I'm with my guest, Barry Johnson. We're talking about polarity management. And before the break, we were talking about how an organization might manage within these two polarities, some of the things that might come up or or resistances. And you gave a, a great example of a company that's doing this really well, Singapore Airlines, that they have a dual strategy, which really brings together this most effective organization. So how do we have the most sales in the industry and how do we have the most cost effective business? And I think any company would look at that and say, well, sure, uh, I think that would be great, but I have no idea how to do that. So what might be some, let's say, uh, approaches and maybe even some resistances or false assumptions that companies have that would prevent them from doing this. So maybe what would be an approach if you were working with an organization, um, what, what typically might get in the way and what would be some strategies to achieve this? Sure. So just a couple of things. Um, we, in my, in my, the, the first book that I wrote in 92, I talked about polarity management and we still use that word, but we've shifted our emphasis. And so we talk about leveraging polarities. It's a little more, um, uh, it's a little more directive and a little more in your control. Management mm-hmm. sometimes people associate with sort of like you're juggling a bunch of balls and just trying to keep them all in the air. Leveraging is about uh, is more towards the point of seeing this as an energy system mm. that that you in which you can create a, a a positive reinforcing loop between the two poles that lifts the system. Um, uh, and and so we we talk about leveraging, and and the so if we go back to Singapore Airlines briefly, so the two poles are one is is customer satisfaction. Um, mm-hmm. So we want to be seen uh, by customers as you know have the greatest customer satisfaction on the one hand, and then we want to be cost effective. And so once you assume you can do both, then you start you look at intentionally. Um, creating what we call action steps to support each upside, and they go right alongside the map. So if you imagine that infinity loop, uh, and if you had on the left pole, you had a circle, and in the left pole you had uh, customer satisfaction, and in the right pole you had um, cost-effective organization. Um, up on the upper left to the uh, outside of uh, the page, on the, on the left-hand side, you just make a list of action steps, to get the upsides of customer satisfaction, and on the right-hand side of the uh, of the map, you would uh, put what are all the, the the things that you can do to make sure you're cost-effective. And sometimes you can have what we call high-leverage action steps that support both. Now, I'll give you an example, um, a couple of examples within Singapore Airlines. So, one of the things they say is, if the customer doesn't see it, save money. So. Uh, if the customer sees it, then that's where that's where you don't cut costs. So, mm. for example, <clears throat> um, when I, I flew to Singapore to do some uh, some work a couple of years ago on Singapore Airlines, and what I was struck by is when you're on Singapore Airlines um, in, in this long uh, uh, across the Pacific flight, um, anybody 
uh, in first class or in, uh, you know, in a regular uh, class in the airline can get up and walk back to a buffet uh, in the plane, which is set up in which you can get whatever you would like to drink. There's, there's a variety of food that's, that's out there, and you can, just, you can just get it any time the whole flight. No one's wow. keeping track of, you know, and it doesn't cost you, you know, well, you've got one drink, we're going to charge it to your car. None of that. You just go, and there's a buffet. It's available to you as you cross the Atlantic. Now, you say, wait a minute, how can they afford to do that? Well, the way they can afford to do that is, the fa- is when you deal with the part of the organization that the customers don't see. So mm. their corporate offices sit on top of a hangar. They've already uh-huh. paid for the land space to put, to you know, to... to uh, to repair planes in a hangar, they just use that same square footage and put the put their corporate headquarters on top of it. So customers That's never, brilliant. See, never see the corporate <laughs> office, right? So how do we right. save money? Where can we save money? And where do we want to be, if you will, quite lavish? The other thing they do is they have they have the youngest airline in the industry. They keep mm. turning over their planes, buying new planes. They say, well, well, now what's that? Is what we call a high leverage action step, because mm-hmm. what it does is it serves um, on the economy side, um, uh, they have the, the smallest amount of downtime for their planes and the mm. smallest amount of delayed flights because of planes, you know, malfunctioning and, need, and thus causing, you know, a, uh, a need to delay. So they have less delays and less downtime, which is money saving, right? They have right. both the less downtime, you know, and the less delay time of any airline in the industry saving money over all other airlines also. So they save money by having the, the newer planes. But on the other well, side, I'm, they also, um, uh, because their planes are newer, the customers are getting the, the latest plane amenities and experiences. So it's a good example of how you do both. Well, and also the, their customers would not be satisfied with delays. So the fact that there's fewer delays is going to keep customers satisfied as well. Exactly. Exactly. Good point, Olivia. And now, now we're looking at how can these two synergize each other? See what I mean? They become yeah. a positive reinforcing loop. Now, it, the other would be a negative reinforcing loop in which, oh, we're trying to save money. Well, let's charge customers more for what they take on a plane or let's charge them more for <laughs> exactly. luggage. Um, right. And so, you know, and now and another way to save money is to just sort of run our, run our planes into the ground. So now we've got delays. We're doing more and more time in hangars. We're repairing them. So now you've got a vicious cycle. You're, yeah. you're, incorpor- you're in, in creating more costs. You're creating more delays. And you're creating more dissatisfied customers. And, and you've just created now a vicious cycle around the same phenomena of customer satisfaction and cost effectiveness. Interesting. Same polarity. And, yeah. Let's say U.S. Airways wanted to approach, look at this approach. Mm-hmm. What do you think? And so you're in there and you're talking to their leadership team. What do you think their resistance would be to just following the same model since it seems to so obviously work? What would um, get in the way, do you think? Uh, well, um, one of the things that gets in the way is that... Um, uh, people tend to see things as either or choices, and mm-hmm. they can't. They have trouble shifting to seeing it as a both and. They continue to see it as an either or. Um, 
And until they can see it as a both and, the minute they can see it as a both and and intentionally go after it, they will benefit from it. And then they would say, well, what can we learn from Singapore Airlines? What can we learn from, you know, from others? And what can we create for ourselves that will, in fact, leverage this polarity? Um, so the resistance comes from the, the assumption that something is either or, and they, they have difficulty grasping the fact that it's both and. In the United States, for example, if you look at if you look at the struggle between two uh, the freedom and equality polarity that I mentioned earlier, think about the mm-hmm. two groups in the United States that are advocating for each poll. Uh, the Tea Party mm-hmm. is advocating for the freedom poll for all the good reasons that all the upsides of the freedom poll. They've got a great point, and they're afraid of big government, which is the loss of freedom, right? So that would be that would be the freedom and loss of freedom uh, dimension. Mm-hmm. But, but Occupy Wall Street is saying, wait a minute, we're not afraid of big government. We're afraid of big money. We're afraid mm-hmm. of gross inequality and 1% of the country controlling the whole country. And so, uh, so we're, we're moving towards more uh, uh, regulation and uh, equality, while the Tea Party is focusing on deregulation and freedom. Now, as long as we as a nation see that as an either-or proposition, we will just not be able to leverage this polarity as effectively uh, as is possible. Now, how do you get the Tea Party and Occupy Wall Street and our people in our, our uh, government to see it as a both-and proposition? That's a great question, and um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to I'm getting more and more inquiries about how uh, this lens might be useful uh, in, our, in our government politics and in other government politics, and I certainly would welcome an opportunity to explore that. Um, well, we that's used it a lot ex- of the U.S. military. Um, so oh. it's starting. There are some government agencies with whom we've worked. So it's starting to work its way into hopefully electoral politics as well. Wow, that would be great because I think there are some, you know, maybe money interests that like the current status quo. But if people are asking, that's very encouraging. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the polarity here, the, the underlying polarity then, is the polarity of abundance for some mm-hmm. and basics for all. The assumption is that okay. if we provide the basics, basic education, basic health care, if we provide these basics for all, we're going to have to give up abundance for some. And I right. suggest that's not true. That the way to actually enhance the abundance for some is to provide the basics for all. Mm -hmm. So if you want to, and a couple of examples of how this has happened historically. Um, Mm. When Henry Ford decided to increase uh, radically how he paid, what he paid his employees, he wanted to pay them enough. In other words, bring their their salaries a little closer to his and some sort of basic things. Um, What he wanted to do is provide enough money for them so they could buy the cars. Yeah. Uh, if, if you create enough basic income for the workers in the Ford plant so they can buy your cars, where you make your money is in car sales, so you increase your abundance even though you've increased the basic wage for your workers. Um, hmm. and, and so that's one example. In, in the education in the United States, we had a, a tradition early on of saying we want to provide basic education, K-12, through for every student. Now, that was right. smart. It was also, notice it focuses on the equality poll. And, uh, and so, and, and, and having the basics, if we have basic education, quality education for everyone, 
doesn't mean everybody's going to Harvard. We can have abundance of, of quality education, abundance for some in edu- at the education arena, and the basics for all. If we do that, it will enhance our, co- our ability to continue to provide abundant education access for some because, in part, we've provided basic K-12 education for everyone. Now, that makes um, so much sense. Yeah. So, can you think of another company that might be interesting for our listeners? We have about two minutes left, but another company you think is doing this well? Um, well, interesting. There's a... Uh, uh, there's one company that's doing it really well. They even are assessing. We can assess any company's uh, ability to leverage some polarities. And there's one just fun company that's been really intentionally leveraging five key polarities. It's a homeless shelter in St. Catharines, Ontario. Hmm. And, uh, and every, every staff member at this homeless shelter and the homeless folks who, who are members of that uh, community uh, understand the basics of both and thinking. And so they know that on the one hand, they, they want to have uh, some freedom and autonomy. And like you said, there are boundaries that you have mm-hmm. to comply with in order to be in the shelter. So that's, uh, uh, that's one example of uh, an organization that is doing it really well. W.L. Gore and Associates uh, have been doing it well for some time, uh, intentionally leveraging polarities. Uh, I'm just thinking of some. Um, uh, the BBC uh, shifted in its... Uh, in how it arranged itself because it was uh, had issues with uh, excessive pro- program autonomy and they wanted to have an integrated uh, a BBC view. So one of our polarity uh, consultants, uh, Julie Beeden from the UK, uh, was brought in to help them uh, uh, leverage that polarity, and they've uh, they've been doing a uh, you know a good job of that. Um, there mm-hmm. are some uh, hospitals that, that we have worked with that are being intentional about leveraging key polarities in hospitals. Um, that sounds good. So, <laughs> yeah. So, for example, a, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, staff in hospitals experience hospitals vertically, but patients experience hospitals horizontally. So if you right. want to have a really effective hospital and quality at the point of care, you need mm-hmm. to leverage the polarity of vertical and horizontal as an example. And so well, that's and one of them that we play with. And that seems like it would actually correlate pretty well with uh, Singapore Airlines, too. You want yes. satisfied patients and cost-effectiveness. Exactly. But that would exactly. be huge for a hospital. Um, yes. Very yes. interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's great. Um, so we have about a minute left. Do you have any final uh-huh. thoughts for people to kind of take away with this knowledge? Well, just, just to say that... that um, that everybody has been leveraging polarities their whole life. They just probably haven't called it that. So you can appreciate the fact that you're probably, you know, you're probably already doing it at certain levels of skill. And mm-hmm. my hope is that the polarity lens and set of principles can actually help people uh, be more effective at leveraging polarities they're already leveraging. Got uh, it. So that's, that's the point. Well, thank you. It, we are out of time. I just so appreciate you being my guest today, and I hope you'll come back and visit us again. I'd love to. Thanks a lot for the invitation. My pleasure. So next week, my guest will be Jeff DeGraff. We'll be discussing his new book, Making Stone Soup, How to Jumpstart Innovation Teams. So be sure to tune in for a full description of this and other upcoming shows, as well as access to all past shows and guest bios. Please visit www.quantumbusinessinsights.com. 
I'm your host, Olivia Parrood, saying thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parrood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week. We'll be right back.